Welcome to the AIPT Movies Podcast with your hosts, Alex Harris. And with them, as always, are Tim Garner and Matt Paul. Yeah, so apparently there was a clusterfuck at the chicken track. How can you not appreciate that joke? How can you? I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. Audio gold. Bastards. <laughs> anyway, hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the AIPT Movies Podcast. I can't believe we made Woo! it to 10. You know, I thought I'd I thought for sure I'd have a nervous breakdown before this point. Um, I'm Alex Harris. I'm an independent writer slash director. You may know me from my upcoming movie about Boston-based super spy Marty Warrant in Quantum of the National Grid Gas Tank, starring Mark Wahlberg's least dangerous high school friend, Kenny Fitzy Sullivan. Uh, we, we wanted to cast his most dangerous high school friend, Polly Sully Fitzpatrick, but... He was arrested for selling counterfeit Mike's Hard Lemonade halfway through a Zoom audition. I, I, I don't think I knew about this. How did you get attached? I'll, I'll be honest. This was a, this was a serious work for hire gig. Um, apparently, the producers, uh, the guy from Jordan's Furniture and the owner of Boston Sand and Gravel, uh, picked up on how people have claimed a lot of super spies are, you know, the American James Bond. Like, should it be Ethan Hunt or Jason Bourne? I mean, it's obviously Ethan Hunt, but whatever. And they decided, you know, why throw their hat into that crowded ring when they could just corner the market on Boston's James Bond? It was offered to me, and they seemed determined to actually release it, and I just couldn't turn down the offer to make a movie that people could actually see. Um, so, you know... I went with it, and I, I, I figured I, I could also help the project by taking out some of the cringier, stereotypical Boston moments and making it a little more authentic. I hate all that cringy Boston stuff in The Departed and so forth. Me too, man. Me too. You'd be shocked how many times I had to do Find and Replace to change Stop and Shop and Duncan references to the proper Stoppy and Dunks. They, they even wanted the final battle to take place on top of the Sitco sign, which made me want to throw up. But luckily, they couldn't get approval, so instead it takes place on the middle platform on Park Street Station with Kitar Bear playing in the background. Anyway, I, I brought a clip, so let's check it out right now. Hello, sir, and welcome to the most prestigious bar in Boston, where dangerous people make dangerous deals. The Beantown Pub. Don't call me sir. That's what people call my old man. The name's Juan. Marty Wine, which was also what they called my old man. Okay, Mr. Warrant, what can I get you? I'll take a butt. Heavy, not light. Of course. Let me just reach deep into the freezer so I can get you a really cold one. You mean deep into the freezer where you keep your emergency rocket launcher for when trouble comes into the bar? Ah, fuck. My rocket launcher's empty. Yeah. I snuck in last night and unloaded it while you were busy collecting discarded Kino slips. But you know what isn't empty? What? The rocket launcher I walked in with. Wow, that sounds sick. Thanks, Matt. And, and thanks for doing a polish on that scene, too. Oh, no problem. I mean, I can't believe they originally set that scene at Legal Seafoods. <laughs> Uh, hi, uh, I'm Tim Gardner, man in a suit actor, contortionist mime, and green suit guy. You may know me from my role as Harry in the upcoming Harry and the Hendersons Freaky Seeky Boot. Any movement on the actual title or plot? No, no, not yet, but they have decided it's going to be the first part of an expansive Harry Henderverse, which is exciting. I mean, I guess part of the delay is that they're trying to distance themselves from the recent porn parody, um... Horny and the Hendersons. Hi, I'm Matt Paul, and I'm just a guy on a podcast. I'm certainly not a script doctor. Saying I am would be like saying Tony Soprano was the main character in The Many Saints of Newark. Now, I know you're not supposed to say, but did you have anything to do with how that movie turned out? Oh, hell no. Do you really think I'd write a Soprano sequel and make the main character Dickie Moltisani instead of Tony Soprano? I mean, come on. Yeah, okay, good point. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because... Uh... Yeah, in my version of the script, the main character was the singer of that band Visiting Day, Richie Santini, from the A Hit is a Hit episode, and you follow him when he was still in his first band, Defiler, and still dating Adriana. That way, you get to see a younger Tony Soprano the way people really wanted to see him, 
telling his 11-year-old daughter Meadow that she can't buy Manic Panic hair dye from the Hot Topic Richie works at. Anyway, once again, to my dismay, we have some corrections from the previous episode. First, we couldn't remember the name of the fake slasher in, in the 1998 The Blob remake, but it's actually called Garden Tool Massacre, and I'm, I'm so ashamed that we forgot that I'm not even going to make a joke. Also, I received several messages about the Snyder Cut joke in the previous episode. I just want to take the time to clarify the situation for the Snyder fans out there, as I, I don't want to offend them, and I actually like BBS and some other Snyder stuff, at least more than a lot of other people seem to, and I get the impression that they don't understand what I'm trying to say. So just to clarify, it's called a joke. It's spelled J-O-K-E, and it's defined as something said or done to cause laughter, a brief story with a surprising and funny ending, or something, or someone or something that is not worth taking seriously. The oldest identified joke is an ancient Sumerian proverb from 1900 BC, and the word comes from the Latin word iocus, meaning joke, jest, pastime. An example of a joke would be, a turtle walks into a bar and asks the bartender to put something slow on the TV. The bartender puts on the Snyder Cut, and the turtle says, not that slow. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the episode, Alex said he played a sound clip of Tom Jane from Deep Blue Scenes instead of the actual title, Deep Blue Sea. Now, this could potentially be my fault, as I had just told Alex about a new project of mine called Deep Blue Scenes, which is a 15-part documentary about the chronic depression and addiction wreaking havoc on the members of the Blue Man Group. Amazing documentary. Gut-wrenching. Just tore me apart. (laughs) Finally, when Alex was talking about the new Blumhouse movie on Amazon Prime, he pronounced it as Bloom. When it's actually Blum, as in Blumpkin. <laughs> Not Bloom, as in if you eat the Bloom and Onion appetizer when you have dinner at the Outback Steakhouse, there's no way you're getting a Blumpkin later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm still 14. Uh, good stuff. <laughs> All right, that's it for corrections. Let's move on to some news. A sequel to Dwayne Johnson's Jungle Cruise will apparently take place in multiple locations around the world. They haven't given specific examples where as of yet, but I can tell you one location that it won't be in. A theater with me in it. Hey. (laughs) Well, in other news, fellow Tim, Timothy Chalamet, posted a first look of himself as Willy Wonka in the upcoming prequel. Now, I didn't see the image, but I'm imagining it's a picture of Willy Wonka covered in blood after an even more disastrous initial test run of the fizzy lifting drinks. The first trailer for the new Scream movie has been released, but don't get too attached because the real trailer comes out later and this trailer is killed off before the opening credits. (laughs) Can I just say, that trailer, how boring does that movie look? Oh, really? I did not watch the trailer yet. I saw it. I saw it. I'm like, oh, I should watch that. And I forgot. It looked just like every other trailer for all the other movies. That's true. That's true. But I'm I'm hoping they're limited by what they can show. And that is, yeah. you know, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it makes a better movie than a trailer. That's for sure. I hope it's good because I do have a soft spot for those movies. Yeah, I love those movies. And, it, you know, they have a big shoes to fill. It's the first one without Wes Craven. So that's they uh, have a they have a big ghost mouth face to fill. That's right. That's right. That's right. Jason Reitman, director of Ghostbusters Afterlife, says his film opens the door for more prequels or possible spin-offs. As long as the idea seems profitable. I mean natural. Ew. I finally saw that real tra- the full trailer for that the other day though, and it was it looks pretty good. <laughs> I'm into it. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. I'm into it mainly because it's. It, I mean, it deals with the legacy of Egon, and I'm I'm for that because yeah, I love Egon. Me too, me too, and I I miss Harold Ramis quite a bit. Yeah, uh, David Gordon Green has signed on to direct a movie about the creation of Disneyland. Disney execs decided Green was perfect for the job based on his ability to tell stories about entities of pure evil that prey on suburbia. It's been revealed that the fourth Matrix movie and Venom Two were filming in the same area at the same time. It turns out it was an elaborate prank to make Tom Hardy think he was filming scenes for The Matrix instead. (laughs) It bums me out a little. (laughs) (laughs) Director James Gunn has confirmed that Will Poulter has been cast as Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. The news has disappointed many fans that had their hearts set on Zac Efron. 
I know exactly how they feel, said my wife. <laughs> Which is hilarious because we're recording this on our wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, guys. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Olivia Thurlby wants to play Judge Anderson again in a sequel to the fan favorite 2012 Judge Dredd movie. Unfortunately, due to the producers losing a bet, they're making a sequel to the 1995 Sylvester Stallone movie instead. I am the law. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, I'll take a sequel to either. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, all right, that's it for news. Let's move on to new releases. New in theaters and streaming on the unwatched void they call Peacock <laughs> is Halloween Kills. The saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode continues in the next thrilling chapter of the Halloween series. The slasher is directed by David Gordon Green and written by Green, Danny McBride, and Scott Teams. The film is a sequel to 2018's Halloween and the 12th installment in the Halloween franchise. The film stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle, who reprise their roles as Laurie Strode and Michael Myers from the original 1978 film, along with Judy Greer, Andy Matichek? and Will Patton, who reprised their roles from the 2018 film. Paul Rudd was asked to return as Tommy Doyle, even though he played the character in the sixth movie, which this movie ignores. Convenient. <laughs> right. But he said no, and they went with the poor man's Christopher Walken, Anthony Michael Hall. Remember that Dead Zone show? Yeah, gee. <laughs> in addition, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Kyle Richards returns as Lindsay Wallace, who she played in the 1978 original when she was a child actor. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to the possibility of seeing her get killed by Michael Myers. And to be clear, I only wish fictional death on her. I wish non-fictional death on no one. Well, except for maybe David Usna, Brian Usna's shitty cousin. That guy sucks. He is the fucking worst. Ugh. Don't get me started on him. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll rein it back in. Uh, in theaters <laughs> only this week is the last duel. King Charles VI declares that Knight Jean de Carouge settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. The historical drama is directed and produced by Ridley Scott. It is based on the book of the same name by Eric Yeager, with a screenplay by Nicole Holof. Oh, I, I, you know what? I, it's pronounced Holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, what have you done? Nicole Hologram. With a screenplay by Nicole Holopstein, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon. The film stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer from Killing Eve and Free Guy, and the phoenix himself, Ben Affleck. <laughs> by the way, I want to point out that fucking Ridley Scott made The Last Duel and House of Gucci within like a year. Wow. Yeah, isn't House of Gucci coming out like yeah. so soon? <laughs> I think it's coming out around Christmas or something. He's crazy. Yeah, he's nuts. It's coming out on Thanksgiving. Jesus uh, Christ. The guy's a fucking beast. You know what I think it is? I'm going to I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it now. It's Have you guys seen Walk Hard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you know how the other brother gets halved. So Dewey Cox has to live for both for him and his brother since Ridley <laughs> lost Tony Scott, the excellent mm. other dire Scott director. He has to direct twice as many movies because he's directing for Tony as well. R.I.P. Tony. That's what I think it is. How touching. Well, that's a really sweet way of framing it. <laughs> the elegant drama Walk Hard just keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong kid, Dad. <laughs> In theaters only this week is Hard Luck Love Song, a gritty love story about a charismatic but down-on-his-luck troubadour living out of cheap motels and making bad decisions. The romantic drama mm. is directed by Justin Corsby in his feature directorial debut and stars Michael Dorman from that show Patriot, also the brother of the bad guy in The Invisible Man, Sophia Bush, Dermot Mulroney, Eric Roberts, and RZA. The movie is based on the song Just Like Old Times by Todd Snyder, who is a musician that some people are apparently familiar with. <laughs> Yeah, I have no fucking idea who he is. No idea. Uh, <laughs> I know, they make such a deal of, like, saying that in the trailer, and I don't... Like, who the fuck is... Who, 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 right. who is he? Who are you? Who are you? But, you know, for I'm sure for the Todd Snyder fans, that's... I mean, and he must be more famous than us, so who am I to judge? Release the Todd Snyder cut. <laughs> oh my god, we have... We have... That's gonna be our... That's gonna be our mission, guys. That's gonna be our movement. The Todd, we need to see the Todd Snyder cut of Hard Luck Love Song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie better combine 
elements of folk, rock, blues, alt country, and even funk. Damn it! He's <laughs> like, there's this music is barely versatile. Come on, <laughs> Th- those hell- hotels don't look nearly as cheap as they were supposed to be in the song. <laughs> All right. Well, now we have something new to work on, but uh, that's it for new releases, which means it's time for What Did We Watch This Week? Um, So before we get into more discussion, uh, I just want to say that I caught a few new releases this week. Awesome. First, I managed to see the recent Candyman sequel. I liked it. It works very well as a follow-up to the original movie. Does a great job of making urban settings scary with its ominous slow burn tone. I thought uh, the cast was great. It was well directed by uh, Nia DaCosta. Uh, had some good funny moments too, which could have been Jordan Peele's influence. And I won't get into specifics, but we do briefly see Tony Todd in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. Uh, things that stood out to me were the creepy, foggy, upside down shots of Chicago. Like they they would do like this whole thing since it's like you know mirrors are involved, mm-hmm. so like you just see be looking down at the sky it was it was pretty cool. Oh, cool and they had a great line in it that i will haunt me um ain't a dick on the planet good enough to offset a demonology hobby and i mean they are absolutely they're completely right. right speaking of dicks that may or may not be good enough to offset a demonology <laughs> hobby i also saw the new james bond movie no time to die cool. which i think i liked quite a bit but i think i need to see it again to real fill, really fill it out uh, it felt more tense than the rest of the Craig Bond movies and surprisingly scary at points. Uh, despite how crazy and occasionally illogical the story was, it felt a little more real than the other movies too. Um, as usual for the Bond series, amazing cinematography, production design, and locations. But uh, this is probably the best looking one since Skyfall. Uh, one th- weird thing is about this movie is I don't remember them ever using location title cards. So we'd be like, going all over the fucking globe without knowing where we are, which was, like, kind of odd, hmm. you know? They, like, I feel like location title cards are, like, the norm, and I, I kind of appreciate, I, like, applaud the gutsiness of them not doing it, but I was kind of confused at points. Hans Zimmer did the music, and the music was great, except for the few points that he slipped into his usual Dark Knight trilogy tense hum moments. All of our signatures, right? Right, right. There was just, like, at one point I heard it, and I was like, Jesus Christ, is this Hans, Hans Zimmer? And it was. <laughs> In some ways, it felt like the most like a classic James Bond movie to me, um, with it being surprisingly sexy, having a good amount of gadgets, double crosses, creative deaths, and silly one-liners after those creative deaths. Uh, Cast was great. I was happy to see Jeffrey Wright back as Felix Leiter, and they really hammered home his relationship as Bond's effective brother, being the only other person Bond really relates to. Lea Seydoux was great here and way better than she was in Spectre. She did a much better job of convincing us Bond and her love each other, so this time the only problem was how much younger she clearly is. Mm. For me, the standout was the Affleck whisperer herself, (laughs) Ana de Armas. She was only really in one scene, but she was funny, charismatic, had a very wholesome relationship with Bond, and handled her action scenes amazingly well. There's a whole joke about how how she's incredible for being a brand new agent with only three weeks of training, and this is because Anna was a last-minute addition they squeezed into the movie because Craig left working with her on Knives Out. And the character's natural ability is a meta-reference to Anna de Armas' natural ability to train for the movie with almost no notice. And it's funny because she's not really needed in the scene that she's in, so it's really obvious that they literally just, like, added dialogue to these scenes. It's it, it, But she's great. Okay. She's great. Speaking of last-minute additions, Carrie Fukunaga replaced Danny Boyle with only three months to get ready before filming, which means a lot of the finished film was developed by Boyle before he left. Mm. That said, there were parts that were clearly Fukunaga, such as a very cool long-shot action scene near the end, kind of similar to what he did in the first season of True Detective. All in all, this was a surprisingly emotional Bond movie that asks what kind of a life is a life without those you love? And how does a man who believes he can only create death and pain deal with finally being proud of something he's created? Like, it was weird, man. Like, this movie, like, got me at the end. Nice. And if you're wondering, this was a very stylish movie, but I'd give breakies to the last outfit Bond wore, the dress Ana de Armas wore, and the villain's creepy broken mask. On that note, I got bad news and good news, guys. The bad news is that only I saw No Time to Die, so we might as well stop talking about it. Well, then what's the good news? We all watched the 1986 horror sci-fi classic Night of the Creeps, so we can talk about that instead! 
Alien brain parasites entering humans through the mouth turn their host into a killing zombie. A killing zombie? As opposed to your standard. Yeah, instead of just a zombie who doesn't kill and just like hangs out and plays video games with Simon yeah. Pegg. Some teenagers start to fight them. This, what an odd, that's probably one of the, as someone who's been reading and, and, and copying synopsises, mm-hmm. synopses, synopses for the, you know, the last two months or so, that is probably one of the worst synopses <laughs> I, I've, I've seen. I know. Don't, but don't let that. No, don't let that fool you. But, don't let that dissuade you. But yeah, really, some teenagers <laughs> start to fight against them. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than <laughs> right. that. Um. The movie is written and directed by Fred Decker, who also wrote and directed the Monster Squad, Robocop 3, which I do not hold against him. And he wrote the most recent Predator movie from 2018, which I honestly do kind of hold against him. The movie stars the man, the myth, the mustache, Tom Mackins, along with Jason Lively, Steve Marshall, and Jill Whitlow. So as a warning, I'm sure there will be spoilers as we discuss Night of the Creeps. If you haven't seen this, like blast of a movie you may want to pause this watch the movie and come back otherwise let's dig right in so matt and tim what were your favorite things about night of the creeps i had thought that i had probably seen this probably with you guys but i definitely didn't see this before you know what you probably didn't because so uh, just this i was gonna bring this up so i i saw this movie on on like tv much like we all saw the blob when i was a kid and i remember there being like, uh, I think it was maybe Creature Double Feature on WLVI. Mm-hmm. They showed ads for this movie all the time, and it was mixed. The, I think the double feature was this and Prince of Darkness. Wow. And they both, Tom Atkins looks very similar to the lead in Prince of Darkness. And they both have, like, creepy, like, zombie-type people walking around the street. So for the longest time, I thought they were the same movie, because I couldn't really remember it. And I remember in high school, I was trying to track this movie down. And this was like, you know, this was the fucking 90s, man. Like, it's not like I could just pop on IMDb as like, like I can right. now or jump on YouTube or Reddit or something. Like, trying to figure out what movie this was was surprisingly difficult. I just remembered Creep. And I remember we, I remember uh, finding at Hollywood Video this Italian movie, Creep, or Creeps, I think it was called, with Jennifer Conley. Okay. And, and we, I remember renting it and making you guys watch it only to find out that it wasn't that movie. And then like a little, like, I think late in high school, I caught Night of the Creeps on sci- on the sci-fi channel one night and I was like, holy shit, it's Night of the Creeps. And then you, I don't think it was on easily attainable on VHS. It wasn't on DVD for a while, if I remember correctly. It was not. Remember, you and I specifically were hunting for it at one point. Right, exactly. So by the time I finally was able to attain a copy of this movie, I think it was past the point of us always watching, of us watching movies constantly together. So you probably didn't see this, Matt. Yeah, I definitely didn't because I did not. I was like, what is this? Um I I really like the whole B movie. I mean, kind of schlocky. Yeah. Like they obviously were trying to copy. I mean, especially in the beginning, you know, fifties like sci-fi B movies. I enjoyed that part, that um side of it very much. I kind of wished. I I I, I was kind of disappointed when it wasn't black and white for the rest of the movie. Yeah, um, I I think I read that Fred Decker wanted it to be in black and white. Mm, that that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I I enjoyed that. I figured, I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that very first opening scene. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I have stuff to say about that. Yeah, so much to say. When I saw that, I was like, all right, well, this is this is going to be more funny cheesy than <laughs> you know. Yeah. Scary horror sci-fi. Right. Um but I liked some of the effects, the way like their the the heads split open and yeah. the like leeches like flew out. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. A lot of the I think a lot of the effects were done by the guy guys from K and B effects before they were K and B effects, mm. like uh, Nicotero or whatever or Howard Berger or whatever their name is. I oh, can't nice. remember their names. The guys who the guys who do all the effects on The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, take it away. Hi, I'm Tim. <laughs> Hi, it me. I that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the opening is great right away because, uh, it's called Night of the Creeps. And I'm sure that the advertisements at that point for the film probably did not have any of that in the commercials. Yeah. 
So I appreciate, hey, everybody, look at these little fellas running around, blasting each other with <laughs> laser guns. And then before you even see them, it's like you think, oh, so we're just like in a sewer somewhere. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this little alien dude with his little butt. I know, like, they all have bubble butts. Is... That was one of the things. <laughs> It always cracks me up. They have fucking like badonka dogs. It's great. <laughs> yeah, they're thin. And uh, yeah, I I forgot about the whole space part too because right? when I finally saw it again, it was on TV, and I missed the beginning. And so when I finally got my hands on the DVD, I was like, I don't remember this at all. I, yeah, because my experience with encountering Night of the Creeps in the wild, uh, a I never knew what the title was because I only saw it on TV when it was the third act yeah so i was just like oh my god what movie is this <laughs> this is amazing i have no idea what this is and i'll never know it again until you know years later you and i talk about it and we're like oh we have to find this this is our mission <laughs> i know so yeah i mean you got the you got the way you got the great opening to it uh with the aliens that only have one facial expression because <laughs> which is that of disgust i guess yeah because they're <laughs> they probably kind of like, they're probably looking out of those weird mouths that's probably where their eyes are yeah oh for sure the two that were chasing the one that let that was carrying the you know thing the creeps yep <laughs> the creeps those two their eyes moved oh I didn't notice yeah I think so I think they moved too and then the other one the eyes his eyes weren't moving his yeah it was just he. pretty static right? yeah. yeah yeah well he's more evil yeah I, I also love one of my favorite things about that whole scene is that they're actually giants. Because the one who's running away is holding this little tube, and when it crash lands on Earth, it's huge. <laughs> you know what? I never put I that didn't scale pick up together. On that. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that sense of scale yeah. either. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the creature effects, the gore effects, like, you, you don't expect that level of sophistication from from this type of movie at first, and then they hit you with it, and you're like, damn, they yeah. come to play. This is great. It, it looks like a surprise. Yeah. I mean, there's like cheesy effects in it at points, but it, there's a lot going on in this movie. It looks like it probably, it looks like it cost a lot more than it probably did. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, just the uh, reanimated corpse of Detective Cameron's sin from the yeah. past was amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, Alex, what do you got? Oh my God. So I, I, I think that, this movie is a, like, I really love the visuals in this movie. I think it's a very visually pleasing movie. I love the opening titles, like the, the like, the music oh, yeah, with so the, the, like, oh, I just, I, I, I love it. Um, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the blue, the blue and red text over the black yeah, and white film. Yeah, and there's, like, zooming in. Yeah. I, I feel like that was a big influence on, like, the Stranger Things intro. Hmm. Ooh, yeah, definitely. And the, I think Stranger Things took a lot of from this and Terminator. And I read, I read that it the same guy designed the opening credits, the title credits for both this and Terminator. Oh, funny. Solid production design. Really, there's a lot of like really good camera moves in this movie. I don't know, like it's it's a very visually rich movie in my opinion, especially for like kind of like a cheesy B movie. Um, it had the same production designer as Alligator 2, The Mutation. So, I mean, you know, that should tell you all everything you need to know. Uh, and there's like, uh, there's shots that I like really love from it. Like the, when the cops are looking for the, you know, the corpse of, of Detective Cameron's past sin and they just drive by him and you see him just in the background as they drive by him like walking <laughs> in the street with the axe like it's just like a little subtle thing that i love and i will always love the spinning shot of detective cameron shooting i i just oh yeah totally love that shot so much like with a deep deep like deep affection um as you guys mentioned it's a silly movie i love the silliness um i love the i yeah. i love the intro with the aliens um and like the black and white 50s horror flashback the movie's bonkers it has so much going on you have space aliens and you go to this like 50s movie where there's an escaped mental mm -hmm. mental patient killer like that has technically almost nothing to do with the movie the, you know it's just so it the movie's all over the place i i love when the 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 guy the corpse wakes up in like the police station and is just walking naked with blood all over him the cop doesn't even look up and is like see you tomorrow uh, <laughs> and the the zombie cat looks so ridiculous and there's no way that someone wouldn't realize that its face is that fucked up right away 
the evil looking dog and when it's in front of the bus mm-hmm. and the driver when they do like the prosthetic face with the eyes popping oh, out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Them not realizing that Brad is a zombie when he comes to the frat house later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone like like uh was it um uh, Jill Whitlow's character like specifically is not looking at Brad. <laughs> yeah. And uh Cynthia um, and I love speaking of her, uh, Cynthia, Cynthia with the flamethrower while dressed for a dance, how they turn the leads into action heroes at the end. I love that. My third mm. thing that I favorite thing is Fred Decker. I, I love Fred Decker. I had the honor of meeting him mm-hmm. years ago at a screening for this and Halloween three. Wow. Fred Decker was there, oh. as was Tom Atkins. I got to meet both of them. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. And, and Tom Atkins uh, hadn't watched Halloween three since the movie came out so he was like hollering and laughing during the movie it was so funny but (laughs) but fred decker is really cool i i got to talk to him he's like he's like uh, he's a fan he's like he's like one of us getting to make movies well i mean nothing is more apparent than that than all of his characters last names in this film i made a list of all of them cameron corman corman university cynthia's last Mm -hmm. name is cronenberg there's a detective Ramy. there's a i think a detective my uh the, the the custodian's last name is minor Yep. The main character's name is Romero. Uh, yep. The other guy is Carpenter Hooper. There's a Detective Landis. You also had Officer Craven. Yeah, that's right. There was a Craven. And there was another one, too. Officer Bava. Oh, shit. I miss Bava. Fuck. Yeah. But yeah, like there's like all those names. It's like something that like we would do. You know, it, it, I, it oh, just sure. like shows how much of a fan he is. Um, I love the the lines in this movie. There's a lot of great lines. Like in the 50s intro, when the girl is in the car by herself and scared. She's trying mm-hmm. to get her date to come back. She's like, I'll even let you fondle my breasts. <laughs> yeah. And like Cameron has so many great lines. Like, what is this, a homicide or a bad B movie? And then when everyone's like, Detective Cameron, he's like, no, Bozo the Clown. Thrill me. And this line is my favorite. And I and I, I remember this line so well from the movie and then all the commercials for it on, on TV. Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies, and a date for the formal. Fucking love that. That's a, that. That's a better synopsis for this movie than than the actual synopsis. That synopsis is terrible. The way that they like it's Miller time. Thrill <laughs> me, and of course the classic. I got good news, bad news. Your dates are here. They're dead. So yeah. good. And I remember <laughs> so that good. that was like such an iconic commercial. And I also love when he's telling the story about you know the stuff that happens <laughs> in the fifties, and he's yeah. like. He's like, were you alone? He's like, alone? No, I brought my 12 gauge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing on that subject is fucking Detective Ray Cameron. I love him so much. I love that character. Is that the one that's always eating? No. No. That's the coroner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked him too. That's a good point. I like the um the, the, the officer that was always eating. Yeah, that's the coroner. Tom Tom Atkins is Detective Ray Cameron. Yeah, the main the uh, main okay. cop. I I I love him so much. I loved his Jaws dream when he's in the white suit and mm-hmm. they do the whole Jaws thing with like intercutting as he sees people in the uh, in the in the water. Um, and then he remembers and he's like holding a hand, a severed hand before it turns into a shotgun in his dream. Mm-hmm. He has that yeah. sick classic car. Um, I love that there's like a mini hard boiled cop movie in the middle of this movie. Like it's like a whole you could edit this movie and turn it into a whole other thing about just Detective Cameron. Um, the whole subtle thing about him trying to kill himself in the movie. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> after he puts, after they put down the axe murderer yep. again, the zombified axe murderer from his past. Uh, and then he goes home, you just see him drinking and like sighing a lot. And you're like, <laughs> okay, this is tough shit. And then like someone knocks on the door and then wait, why is he taking duct tape off of his door that sealed it up? Yep. And then he just goes and turns off the oven and gets yep. his gun and goes out to, to, to fuck up monsters. And I like that he got, you know, he, he died. Obvious, like, again, I said spoilers. He got yeah, to go out know. helping people. He got to go out as a hero. I love mm-hmm. the whole, the main guy, Chris, outside saying, detective, thrill me I, yeah. before it blows up. I just, yeah, I, I did. Ray Cameron is one of my favorite, like, horror movie characters of all time i think he is good oh i was gonna say this upon second viewing of it the first time chrissy and i watched it i was excited chrissy was not she was annoyed <laughs> she was annoyed by it and i we why why is this annoying upon second viewing 
she's like, you know what? I changed my opinion on this movie. It's won me over. It's a lovable movie. It is a lovable movie. I'll explain why later, though. Okay. Uh, an honorable mention for me, though, is uh, for this movie would be like, I mean, it's the coroner. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know I. That's a good. That's a really good honorable mention because, yeah, that's a really good honorable mention because he's great well, you, and he is always oh. eating and he's like, how can you eat all the time doing what you're doing? And like when he's like, if we use one stretcher for each part, we'd be here all day. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? I should say. So I good. hope not to take it this away, but my other honorable mention would be Dick Miller's cameo as Walt uh, the Supply. Yes. Yes, the whole fight, that was one of mine. The whole flamethrower scene with Dick Miller as the armory guy and like Cameron's laughing like, oh, you're just giving a flamethrower. And you know what I loved about that scene that I that never occurred to me until this watch? That's gotta be a riff on the scene from Terminator. Oh, wow. Because uh. Dick Miller plays the guy at the gun store when oh Arnold comes in to get the guns and if fucking De- Fred Decker named the, do- the cop Cameron, there's no way that wasn't on purpose. Oh, absolutely. I mean, wow, I never put that together. And like, so Terminator came out like two years before Night of the Creeps yeah. came out. Oh, you know what? I noticed too, upon a second, like third, fourth viewing was Fred Decker wrote Monster Squad in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And then that didn't, oh, yeah. that wasn't out and yet. And then Striper Rules. Yeah, yeah Striper Rules. Apparently that's because that one funny. of the um, makeup artist people on this movie was dating the sing- one of the people from Striper at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> I liked um the 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 friend the guy with the um, yeah JC JC you know what a great friend I was bummed when he when he ate it yeah. spoilers um yeah he was a good one I I really liked him a lot I liked that he wanted Chris to be happy since yeah he... exactly and I liked that I was reading that Fred Decker specifically didn't bother to give a reason for why he was differently abled because he was like, it doesn't matter. He's just a character who happens to be differently abled. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like him leaving the tape for Chris. Oh my God. And like, he like takes himself out. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I I, I love JC. So good. Oh yeah, I forgot. JC's last name is Hooper. Yeah. uh, I think it's James. Uh, Toby Hooper. Oh yeah, James James Carpenter Carpenter Hooper. Hooper. You're right. Also, a popular fan theory that I actually think I agree with is that JC is gay. And is in love with Chris. Mm. And if you watch the movie, there are hints of it. Sure, maybe. But also, I appreciate the fact, even if he's not gay, I appreciate an 80s movie where two dudes can say they love each other and not resort yeah. to like homophobic like slurs that the 80s movies are filled with generally. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good point. I would say they have one of the better, more like positive friendships, like non-toxic friendships between two dudes I've ever seen in like an 80s horror movie. For sure. Totally. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave that in. My my honorable mention is Matt Sneeze. (laughs) A slug just came out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, Any other honorable mentions? You guys? I um I thought it was really funny that um all of the college kids in quotes here look very old, <laughs> especially the dudes. Like they all have like full mustaches and like I know, which makes like crow's feet like Which makes the so uh funny. the synopsis even funnier because they do not look like like not only is it like if you say they're teenagers, that implies that maybe they're college freshmen, but these guys look like at best college seniors. Oh for yeah, sure. Totally. Ugh. Like, yeah, they look at, like, 20-somethings at the youngest. So funny. I had a few uh, honorable mentions, some of which you guys have already mentioned. Um, I love the crash landing shot from afar. Like, you see the thing, like, coming from the sky and then it lands behind them. And it's almost exactly framed the exact same way as in The Blob, which came out two years later. Amazing. (laughs) Um, And it has a parking scene. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Another honorable mention is... The character, Cynthia Cronenberg, who I had such a crush on when I was a kid and again in my early 20s when I found the DVD. Um, I also love how they, and it's like such a silly thing, but they like, this usually doesn't happen with like the nice lead girl. They show her boobs, which was like weird because like there were like rules, you know, like they talk about this in Scream and stuff like that. Like with horror movies, like typically the main girl won't show her boobs, but like the girls who die will show their boobs. And the whole shot where they're about to, where they show her boobs, they purposely, and I, I read that this was on purpose, they set it up like they're about to, she's about to turn once her top's on, so that when she her, she turns and her boobs are out, it's a surprise. So bizarre. Huh. I also love the way they reveal that Cynthia is the main frat guy's girlfriend, 
how we meet them separately first and then she like walks up from behind and then they like show that oh my god that shitty guy's girlfriend is Cynthia and then she has that awesome scene where she uh she does the 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 wind up middle finger mm-hmm. to her boyfriend oh so good that was great i loved when and and this was another honorable mention but it's on the topic of Cynthia when JC is talking to Cynthia at the party and trying to get um her to like talk to Chris and she's like my friend over there and points at him and he tries to run away and spills the drink on the guy next to him. Excellent. JC in general was one of my honorable mentions. Um, I love all the shots of the slugs going into people's mouths because they were just so like cheesy looking. They were so obviously done like in reverse with like a wire. It fucking killed me. And had what a great cat gag in that movie. Like one of the most obscenely ridiculous cat gags I've ever seen. It's just like (laughs) So built up and so cheesy. And then my last my last honorable mention was the uh, flamethrower scene with Dick Miller. So there you go. <laughs> Do you guys have any uh, least favorite things about this movie? I, I, so I alluded to this earlier uh, about, you know, Chris coming around to the movie now. Um, and I think it's because I agree with this. I think the middle, the late first act and second acts are just a, kind of boring. I mean... They're yeah. perfectly good. They serve the purpose that they are, but they can be irritating at points because their pacing is pretty draggy after what you had just witnessed in the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. True. You know, with aliens, black and yeah. white movie, and now suddenly I'm thrust into college teenage drama. Again, it's intentional, <laughs> but I think yeah. I, it has a tendency to drag. But once that third act hits, you're just like, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I, at this point, I don't I don't feel the drag, but I definitely felt the drag once I finally sat down and watched it again originally. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I get that. I get that. You got anything, Matt? I want more um, info on those little alien guys. <laughs> I know. That's fair. I know. Yeah. Like, wait. It's like, why did he dump it little out? Big like, why did he guys. send it to Earth? Oh yeah, little, <laughs> little big. big guys. Yeah. Yeah. Why did they dump those, it there? those little giants? Yeah. You know, like why did he send it there? I'm simultaneously you know? like love the fact that this movie stands on its own; it hasn't been fucked with. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily mind a sequel to this movie as long as it was good. I wonder if that's what Ridley Scott was up to with Prometheus. <laughs> Maybe those guys oh, were like God. the first engineers who seeded. <laughs> earth and then they came back (laughs) matt right hot take alert prometheus i've been listening to a um a very i've 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 reached peak um alien nerd because i've i've officially been um listening to a podcast called perfect organism that's just all about the alien movies and it's great and so i have it on 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 my brain buzz marketing in this podcast (laughs) you should email them about how it's uh how it's a a night of the creeps prequel prometheus i know you really should should. (laughs) let us know what they say (laughs) yeah probably my least favorite thing about this movie is that it took me so long to finally see the whole thing again that that that's probably my least favorite thing do you guys have any questions about Night of the Creeps? Well, I think I think Matt alluded to it. Yeah, I guess I covered yeah. the question, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I think my main question of Night of the Creeps is that aliens can travel intergalactic distances and create bioweapons, but they are relegated to searching for <laughs> their lost bioweapons with searchlights. I, I know, I know. They can't, like, scan. <laughs> they can't scan it. And another thing, like, the spaceship is enormous that spaceship is so fucking big like how did no one see it but you know i digress gigantic that's a good yeah that's a question um two questions i had other than revealing the slug's weakness for the plot what was jc's plan with the matches in the bathroom stall you know what that's a really good point (laughs) well he was gonna go number two right and then don't people light matches? I was thinking about this, and I always assumed he was pooping when I was younger because I was like, he didn't wipe. But now I'm thinking, you know what? For him, he probably has to sit down to pee. Uh... So I think he was just peeing. But like, and the matches might have just been there. But like, did he, there's no way he could have planned to light it and catch one of them like that. You know? And it's, I, I'm sure it's just like yeah. a, a thing that they, yeah. like, 
pushed to pull together. It was a contrivance they needed. Yeah. Yeah. They had to force it. They needed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, well, well, how are we going to introduce that they're severely allergic to fire more so than everything else is. Um, And, uh, and also maybe, maybe you guys remember this. I don't remember the meaning of I'm so sure. Like, I don't. I think I roughly remember people saying that in the '80s in this like sarcastic way. But there's that girl mm-hmm. in the in the like yep. uh, sorority, sorority house sister. who says it twice like in a row, and I don't remember <laughs> like exactly where that came from or how often it was used. Um, it whatever it yeah, was, it died out real fast. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely a product of its time. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it uh, back. Yeah, I'm. I'm bringing it back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like it's it's sarcastic expression, right? That's all I know it as. You know, like he's got a crush on you, and your your response would be like, "Yeah, I'm so sure." Right, right. I'm you know, it's official. I'm bringing it back. I'm going to try to slip it into every episode. <laughs> I'm so sure. <laughs> I'm I'm so sure. Um, <laughs> I'm making a note. If people hear a scrit- <laughs> a scratchy nose, it's because I'm writing something. Um, so. I, I have answers for this this time. Um, is there anything mm-hmm. in Night of the Creeps that you guys would give a breaky award in honor of Neil Blomkamp's movie Demonic? Ooh, that's a tough one. I have one. All right. Yes. Uh, it's Cynthia Cronenberg with a goddamn flamethrower scrapper. <laughs> yeah. My breaky is her being in her, in her what was it, like a prom? No, semi-formal yeah. dress yep. with a flamethrower attached. Oh, yeah. That's fucking high fashion. Thing of fucking as, beauty. As far as I'm thing concerned. of beauty. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. That's my breaking. You got anything, Matt? Um, yeah, let's see. Um, you know, I enjoyed um Decker's like Hawaiian shirt open trench coat situation. Yeah. The, uh, I thought that was pretty good. Detective Cameron's trench coat was was one of my breakies. Cameron, sorry, not oh, Decker. Decker's the What a what a great name um, Decker is, by the way. Um I know. Yeah, uh, Cameron's trench coat. Yeah, I, I love. What a great trench. You know, that's a solid trench. <laughs> um, I also have some breakies for uh, Cameron's white suit in his dream sequence. Oh yeah, tasteful and elegant. <laughs> the bikini babe waitresses. Oh, the bikini babe <laughs> with the high heels on the sand. What the hell? Like... <laughs> yeah, and the and the bikinis like black with like gold like uh, poor like like gold palm trees or something like that. It was, it was God, pretty great. The 80s, man. I'll also give a breaky to Cynthia Cronenberg's original outfit. It was like a white, like short sleeved shirt with like a big white belt and a jean skirt and like white boots with her socks slightly yeah. above the boots. It's such a ridiculously 80s outfit, but like. Yeah, it's peak 80s fashion. It, I mean, it's amazing. Um, and this is a little controversial. I don't know if the judges will approve this, but in the original party where they meet Cynthia. There is a huge beer bottle sculpture behind Chris while he's standing there awkwardly. It's like a, it almost looks like a, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a bunch of beer bottles like attached to each other in a weird shape. Was it beer bottles or cans? I believe, I remember it being bottles. This. Okay. It's it's just like there in the background. Yeah, yeah, it was just like the other, other as they're doing a crane shot into the party as yeah. JC and, and, and uh, Chris are walking from the back towards us like the crane shot shows a sculpture of beer we'll say <laughs> yeah it's just like a bunch of them like attached to each other and i i don't know it's just you know the judges might rule it out of breakies but you know i enjoyed it honorable breaky honorable <laughs> honorable breaky there you go there you <laughs> go um before we we finish this up i have a couple uh random pieces of trivia that sure I, that i Love wrote trivia. down Oh, I already, I already mentioned that I combined this movie with Prince of Darkness um, <laughs> and that I met Tom Atkins. But um, one thing I didn't know until recently was that he was up for Commissioner Gordon in the Tim Burton Batman wow. movie. And wow. he would have been so fucking so perfect for it. Like nothing, nothing against, uh, I can't remember the guy who got it, but um, I, I, I thought he would have been so, so good in that. Apparently Shane De- Shane Black has a cameo in this movie as a cop, which I missed. I missed that too. Shane Black and Fred Decker are, are like like best friends, so he's in there somewhere. It doesn't surprise me. Um, the lab guy who 
wakes up and walks around after mm-hmm. in the morgue naked. Yep. Was uh, he played the? Uh, he'd been in a bunch of movies. He played the very unimportant person in Ocean's Thirteen, which I enjoyed. And I'm assuming that whole end scene, including the lawnmower and the garden shed scene, was an influence on Dead Alive, which came out six years later. Ooh, absolutely. Um, and also, for clarification, we talked in the last episode about how there's multiple endings. The version that is on digital is the original ending, which involves Cameron walking down the street, all burnt up, and he hits the ground, and the slugs come out, go into the cemetery, and then we see the spaceship going over it. There's another ending which was the theatrical ending. And it's just, they find the dog and, and like, they like, Oh, it's the dog. And then the dog like opens its mouth and a slug flies out. And that's when the movie ends. Yep. Which is a far inferior ending. So I'm glad that the, the one that's on DVD and the one that's out on digital is the, you know, the original and better. ending. definitely. It's what Fred Decker wanted. Exactly. Yep. So yeah. Uh, would you guys say you recommend night of the creeps? Absolutely. For sure. Definitely recommend it, especially if... Uh, and then you can follow this up with uh, the spiritual successor of Slither. Ooh, <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I remember watching Slither and thinking it was clearly very influenced by Night of the Creeps. And, and oddly, when I saw, I've only seen Slither once and I didn't really like it that much. But I, I should watch it again. Yeah, I have the same, same opinion. I'm like, you know, I think I've seen it once, maybe twice, but I definitely need to watch it again. Like, how could I not like it? Yeah, because I, I mean, I love James Gunn in general, and I love what the inspirations were. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I should see it again, for sure. But yeah, I, I highly recommend Night of the Creeps. I, I, again, you probably have to be the kind of person who enjoys this kind of weird smorgasbord of jo- movie genres that this movie is. You know, it's like hard-boiled detective movie, 50s pulp sci-fi mini action movie horror movie teen drama it's like several genres mixed together so if you're up for something like that yeah i would absolutely recommend night of the creeps for sure and what you've done is taken god's oldest killing machine and given it will and desire what you've done is knock us all the way to the bottom of the goddamn food chain oh the sound of tom jane saying one of his great lines from deep blue sea means we're out of time uh, we'll be back next Monday with a new episode, assuming an escaped mental patient doesn't chop us up with an axe before then. If you have any questions for me, Matt, or Tim, we don't have a dedicated email or Twitter yet. I know, I know, I just I just don't really feel like making one yet. I think you should make one so that people can complain to us. I can't wait. <laughs> I know, I know. I want hate mail. <laughs> I kind of want it. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. But you can reach out to me on Twitter at Alex Harris Comics, all one word, comics with an X. If you like this podcast or any other great podcasts, articles, or features on AIPT, you can help support the site and the people who work on it by signing up for a Patreon at patreon.com slash AIPTcomics. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, it's okay to love movies. They may not be able to love you back, but they'll always be there for you. Bye. <laughs> and see.